So how many of you believe that we live in a day where we need some good news? Uh, Well, I am here to tell you that we do live in a day of good news. Jesus has come. He has come to us life. And we can experience that life today as we put our trust in Him. We look to the Old Testament this morning, to 2 Kings chapter 6 and, and 7, where we see a day of good news. And it really illustrates the good news of salvation, the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. I'm going to begin reading from 2 Kings chapter 7, and starting at verse 1, and we read then, In Jesus' name. Then Elisha said, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. The royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, We will live. If they kill us, we will but die. They rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army. So they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites. And the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. But then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silence. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Let's pray. Father, thank you that this day today is a day of good news. It's a day of good news because Jesus has come. Uh, Jesus, who is the bread of life, who, who feeds us and satisfies us and transforms us. And I pray, Lord, that we would experience today uh, in a fresh and, and real and personal way uh, what it means to rejoice in the good news of Jesus Christ, for we pray in His name. Amen. It's interesting what happens when a baby is born, isn't it? How there's something within the hearts and minds of parents and grandparents, right? This is good news. This needs to be shared. 
We just had a birth within our congregation this past week, and there are more to come. And so there will be many days of good news when a, a baby is born. I remember visiting a mother in the hospital several years ago, and she was telling me about the excitement of her husband when their son was born. And she said, I think he called everyone he knows. <laughs> he was so thrilled to finally come to that place where he could look at the little boy and say, that's my son. And then that day when that little boy calls him daddy, oh, that's special. And we always hope that's the first word out of their mouth, right? Daddy, right? First word. Something exciting about a baby being born. Now, I would never minimize the joy that we experience when a baby is born, but there ought to be no greater joy than to share the joy that Jesus has been born, that Jesus has come into this world. It is described in Luke chapter 2 as good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And there's that universal message, right? Good news of great joy for all the people. But then in the very next verse, it becomes very personal. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So there we have that, that, that universal offer, but it needs to be that personal relationship, right? Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This good news then is illustrated in the lives of, of all people, four lepers, right? Outcasts of society, uh, people that, you know, didn't really want much to do with them, fearful of, of, of getting their leprosy. But they discovered during a, a horrible famine in Samaria that this was a day of good news. And they recognized that that good news was to be shared. It was to be proclaimed. And I would suggest to you there are four reasons why that news needs to be shared. The first reason is this, that the need for the good news is so great. When you think of the history of the people of Israel, they faced some challenging times, didn't they? Some tough times. But what they are experiencing here in this a section of Scripture, something they had probably never seen before. There was a horrible famine in the city of Samaria because the Arameans had besieged the city. And they were going to starve them out, right? Finally, they would give up to the Arameans. And the, and the famine was so bad, if you look in chapter 6, verse 25, it was so bad that they were literally eating donkey heads and dove's dung. Chapter 6, verse 25 says that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of a cab, not a taxi cab, of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit what that means. But I don't know if you would have trouble eating the head of a donkey. I'm not sure how much meat there is on the head of a donkey. This would have been unheard of in Israel, that anyone would eat a donkey, because that was considered unclean, food that they were not supposed to eat. 
So this unclean food, the head of a donkey, was being sold for 80 shekels of silver, which amounts to about 16 months' wages. Imagine that. Almost a year and a half of wages for the head of a donkey. That's how bad the famine was. And if I was really hungry, I can imagine eating a donkey's head. There's meat on it, right? I don't know I mean, what it tastes like, but I can picture eating that. I cannot imagine eating dove's dung. I hate to even say it. Five shekels. That's about a, month, a month's wages. And a cab, or what the reference here, would be about a pint. So a pint of dove's dung was a month's wages. Now, this was a terrible famine, a terrible economic crisis, and it led to a great moral crisis. Look at chapter 6, verse 26. The king of Israel is passing by the wall, and this woman cries out to him and says, Help me, O king. And he says, If the Lord doesn't help you, where shall I help you from? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? As if to say, there's nothing going on there. There's no food there. There's no wine there. And so he asked her, well, what's wrong? And she said this. She said, this woman said to me, give me your son that we may eat him today and we'll eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her the next day, give, give your son that we may eat him. But she's hidden her son. Now, I can hardly imagine anyone doing something so drastic as that, but that's how bad it had become in that city. Do you think they needed good news? Wow. Desperate need of good news. And what's interesting is that the king puts the blame on Elisha. (laughs) He blames the prophet of God for this. In verse 31, he says, May God do to me and more also if the head of Elisha remains on him today. In other words, the problem of this famine laid at the feet of Elisha from the king's perspective. But Elisha wasn't the problem. He was not the problem at all. The people of Israel had turned away from God. They had worshipped false gods. And they had disregarded the warning that God had given them. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, he warned them of this very thing. He said, if you abandon the Lord, you worship other gods, an army is going to come in and besiege you. Deuteronomy 28.52. And then verse 53 says, Then you shall eat the offspring of your own body. They were clearly warned. They despised the prophets of God. They turned to worship other gods. If there was ever a day when good news was needed, this was the day. Hard to imagine how things in Samaria could have been worse. We can be thankful we're not in a famine like that. I've never been in a famine. Just look at me. I've gotten plenty of meals in 
my lifetime, sometimes teenage boys, you know, I'm starving half an hour after dinner, you know. They don't know what starving is. These people knew what starving was. So we're, we're thankful that, you know, we're not in a famine like then. But is there a sense in which we are under siege? We are facing a moral crisis in our country right now. We are under siege in that sense that values that are so contrary to Scripture are becoming accepted and embraced by more and more people. We are facing a moral crisis. And this moral crisis has its roots in a spiritual crisis. Because we've turned away from God and His Word And the only thing that can help us is turning back to Him. Turning back to the the message of the gospel of Jesus that will change hearts. That's the only hope I see for our country in this crisis that we're facing. And so that's why we ought to share this word. That's why the message of, of, of Jesus Christ coming to this earth is so needed today. Desperately needed. We can't be silent. We need to proclaim that message. I remember hearing a story about a young man who was going to work for the summer at a lumber camp. And someone told him, if they find out you are a Christian, you are in trouble. And so after the summer was over, they asked him, how did it go at the lumber camp? He said, they didn't even find out that I was a Christian. That's a confession. If you can spend a summer with people working 40 hours a week and they don't even know that you love Jesus, something's wrong. We can't be silent. The need is so great. A second reason we must share this good news is because the knowledge of the good news is so limited. In the midst of this terrible famine, Elijah Elisha proclaimed a message of good news. In fact, it was such amazingly good news, the messenger of the king refused to believe it. He thought it was too good to be true. And that's how some people look at the gospel, right? It's, uh, it's, that's, just got, that's just too good to be true. Chapter 7, verse 1. So then Elisha said, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. So this message comes from God. He says, tomorrow, about this time, okay, 24 hours from now, he says that a measure of fine flour will be sold for not 80 shekels like a horse's head, but one shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. In other words, what he's saying, the famine is going to be over in 24 hours. (laughs) That sounds a little bit unbelievable. How would anybody in their right mind ever believe a prophet like that? He is nuts. He's lost his marbles. And so the king's messenger, verse 2, the royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven... (laughs) And pour out. Could this thing be? 
And then Elisha said, you're going to see it. You'll see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to eat it. You have doubted the very word of God. So it's interesting to notice how the good news that Elisha spoke about was discovered by four lepers who were just outside the city. And we get a little uh, insight into their conversation. Uh, here they are at the entrance of the gate. And they're saying, well, why did we just sit here? We're going we're gonna to die. Go to the city. There's no food. We'll die there. Why don't we just go out to the Arameans? If they kill us, they kill us. At least we won't die of hunger. So you can understand the, the, the conversation. And so they figured the, the best choice, the wisest thing was to go out to the camp of the Arameans. And so when they come to the camp, they notice uh, a very huge surprise. Verse 5, They rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp... Behold, there was no one there. Why? For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear sounds of chariots, sounds of horses, even the sound of a great army. And the Arameans are saying, this isn't just the people of Israel. They've hired the Hittites. They've hired the Egyptians. We are in deep trouble. And off they ran, left everything behind. Verse 7 says, Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight. They left their tents, their horses, their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and fled for their life. Now, isn't it interesting? There was nothing that the people of Samaria could do to put an end to the famine. They were in a hopeless situation, but they didn't need to do anything because God was the one who was going to feed them just as Elisha had prophesied. I'm pretty sure that the people of Samaria had spies, right, along the wall, observing what are the Arameans going to do. But it was twilight, it was getting dark, and so they had no idea that the army of the Arameans had fled. The only ones who knew that were those four lepers. Nobody else knew. No one in the city knew except them. So there were people inside the city who were starving to death. They were dying and they didn't know yet that there was hope just a few strides away. The parallel to our day is pretty clear, isn't it? There are people all around us who are dying without hope. They are spiritually starving. And many of them don't know about the bread of life, about Jesus, who has come to, to save them, give them life. And we have the privilege and the responsibility to tell them. Someone has said that missions or evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Isn't that true? We have nothing to offer God. We come with, with empty hands and, and He fills us. He gives us His, His life-giving uh, bread. And then we tell others where to find bread. It's Jesus. 
And so there are people that need to know this. The, the knowledge of the good news is, is limited. There are many, many in the world who need to hear about Jesus. That's why we need to share that good news. The third reason is because the, the experience of, of the good news is so wonderful. Can't you picture these four lepers? Hungry, outcasts of society. No one probably cared about them. They're probably thinking, well, they're going to die anyhow. Why, why feed them? And, and here they come, <laughs> verse 8, when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank, carried their silver and golden clothes, went and hid them. They came back, went to another tent and gathered all stuff and went and hid them. Feasting, just absolutely feasting after days of hunger. And that is a picture, isn't it? Of what happens when we embrace the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We feast. We feast upon the, the, the rich mercy and grace of, of God. I think of Isaiah 55. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And I love this. And delight yourself in abundance. Those four lepers didn't have any money, but they feasted. They were the outcasts of society, but they feasted. They delighted themselves in abundance, and all of their needs were satisfied that day. Twenty-four hours after that prophecy was made, they were feasting, starving one day, feasting the next. That's what can happen in people's lives. Spiritually starving, hungering and searching for something that would satisfy. And then they meet Jesus. And oh, how life changes. Feasting on manna from heaven. Are you hungering for something that will satisfy? You're not going to find it in the things of this world. You're not going to find it in, in riches or popularity or possessions or anything that this world has to offer. In fact, if you gain the whole world, lose your soul, what profit is that? None. Absolutely none. The only place you'll find satisfaction is in Jesus. And if you don't believe me, read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, right? He had everything that the world could offer. And what did he say about it? It is vanity. It is chasing the wind. That's what you'll be doing until you meet Jesus. He will satisfy your soul. So we share the good news because the experience of that good news is so wonderful. And when you come to know Jesus, you will say, yes, it is. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Then finally notice the proclamation of the good news is so simple. So simple. 
So here's these lepers, they're, they're feasting, and they gathered all of the, uh, the stuff they wanted from these tents, and, and they hid them in their own tent, and, and then they started saying to one another in verse 9, you know, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. And we're keeping silent. We're not sharing this. If we wait until morning light, we might be in trouble. Punishment will overtake us. The king will say, what in the world? You're keeping this to yourselves? Now, therefore, they said, let us come. Let us go and tell the king's household. Can't you just picture that? After feeding themselves and gathering all this stuff, it's just like, yeah, this needs to be shared. <laughs> there is an abundance of, of, of food and spoil from the army that fled. we got to tell the king's household. This is a day of good news. So let me ask you, how much did the four lepers need to know before they told the king about the spoil of the Arameans? Did they need 12 weeks of classes on how to approach the king? I mean, after all, that'd be scary, right? Approach the king. Or did they need two years of training on how they might answer every question they could be asked about the spoil of the, the Arameans? And after all, you don't want to be, you know, appear dumb, right? Like you don't know... The answer to every question, yeah. What if they were rejected by telling the king the famine had ended? What if they lost friends over that? Wouldn't that be terrible? Now, why am I saying all that? Because those are some of the things that we use, right? Same excuses. What if they reject me? What if they ask me a question that I can't answer? I'm not a pastor. I haven't gone to seminary. I, you know, the, the excuses can just flow from our minds, right? What did the four lepers have to do? They just simply went and said, here's what we found. Here's what happened. We went out to the camp of the Arameans and they had fled. We feasted and we gathered into our tent all kinds of all kinds of spoil. Huh? I'm not saying that we shouldn't be trained in sharing the gospel. No, no, I'm not saying that at all. But sometimes we, we make sharing the good news seem like it's so complicated that I could never do it. And that's one of the lies that the evil one wants us to believe that we are just not smart enough or equipped enough to really tell someone about Jesus. Think that's true? Boy, I do. And so we tend to say nothing sometimes, right? When those opportunities arise. Verse 10 says, So they came and, and called to the gatekeepers of the city. And they told them, We came to the camp of the Arameans, and no one was there. Nor the voice of man, only the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents just as they were. Now that's a pretty simple testimony, right? That's what they saw. That's what they experienced. 
And they simply shared what they had experienced. And so witnessing is simply telling others what Christ has done for us, right? That's what it is. Sharing my personal testimony that I was lost, but Jesus found me. That I was without hope, but now I have eternal life. And it's hard for them to argue about your testimony, right? This is what Jesus did for me. And what Jesus did for me, He can do for you. That's basically what these four lepers were saying, right? Here's what we found. Here's the good news. Like the blind man, remember? They were asked about, who is this Jesus? You know, he said, I don't know, I don't know a whole lot about theology, he said, but I, I, I know one thing. Uh, once I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> How do you argue with that? Once I was blind, but now I see. That's what the lepers did. And it's interesting to notice the response to this. <laughs> if you're the king, a paranoid king, his response was this, verse 12, the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I'll tell you what the Arameans are doing. I know what they're doing. This can't really be true. They know we're hungry. Therefore, they have gone from the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we'll capture them, and then we'll get into the city. That's how a king thinks, right? Especially an ungodly king. This, this can't be. I know what they're doing. This is news that's too good to be true. This is just a trick. It's a good thing one of his servants offered some good advice. Verse 13, one of the servants said, please let some men take five of the horses which remain, which are left of the city. They're going to die anyhow. Let's just send and see if this is true. So they took two chariots with horses and the king sent a after the army of the Arameans say, okay, go, okay, go, go check it out then. So they went after them to the Jordan, and behold, <laughs> I love this, all the way was full of clothes and equipment, which the Arameans had thrown away in their haste. Then the messenger returned and told the king, so the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. And then guess what? A measure of flour was sold for a shekel, Two measures of barley for a shekel, according to what? The word of the Lord. In 24 hours, it went from 80 shekels to get a horse's head, five shekels to get a pint of dove's dung, one shekel for a measure of, of wheat. What a, what a transformation, right? In one day, that city that was dying of famine was saved because God had done it. God made a promise and God kept His promise. See what happens when we take God at His word? We experience an abundance of His goodness and mercy just as He promised. And so these people experienced that day a wonderful, glorious, gracious provision of God. Like my grandfather would say it is Swedish brogue, a miracle, <laughs> a miracle of God. But what happens when we don't take God at His word? What happens when we doubt 
and disbelieve the promise of God. We, we see the results of that. In that man, right, the king's royal officer who doubted that that would ever happen. He's the one that said, if the, if, if the Lord opened the windows of heaven, you know, I mean, is this really going to happen? And Elijah, Elijah said, uh, yeah, you're going to see it, but you won't eat it. We see what happened in verse 16 of chapter 7. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans, and the measure of flour was sold for a shekel and so forth, according to the word of the Lord. Then verse 17 says, The king appointed the royal officer, that man, to have charge of the gate. <laughs> so can you picture the people of Samaria? They hear about this. What are they going to do when they haven't eaten for a long time and they hear there's food? They just beat it for the camp of the Arameans and they literally ran over that guy and he died. He was trampled to death just as the man of God had said. On a day of good news, the king's official needlessly died. It could have been different, right? It could have been much different. It could have been a day of good news for him as well. But he didn't believe the Word of God. And the results were devastating. The result was that he lost his life. So today is a day of good news, right? Jesus has come. He has come to give us eternal life. But many people needlessly die without Him because they refuse to believe the message. And for many of them, it's the same reason. It's too good to be true. How can it be that simply trust in Jesus, faith in what He did for me, will save me? It's got to be more than that. It can't be that simple. We are so, our nature is so works-oriented. There's no, no such thing as a free lunch. How many of you heard that, huh? Too good to be true. It is not too good to be true. It is the truth of God's Word. That Jesus paid it all. All to Him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's the good news. Don't miss out on the good news. Put your trust in Jesus. And when you've experienced that abundant joy that He gives, good news of great joy, share it, right? Tell others what Jesus has done for you. You don't need two years of how to approach someone. You tell them what Christ has done for you. How He changed your life. A day of good news. Let's share it. Let's proclaim it. Let's go tell it on the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the bread of life. You are the only one that can satisfy the hungering soul. And Lord, help us then to share what you have done for us to change us, to save us, to give us hope, a world that so much needs to hear of the good news of salvation.
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us, for the hope we have in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray.